Hello. I'm going to read the next passage from Mark's Gospel from chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, that is to the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filled. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, what a spectacular scene. The Sea of Galilee, located in the north of Israel or Palestine, as the country then was when Jesus was ministering. It's interesting that it's about 700 feet below sea level. That is the Sea of Galilee. And to the northeast, uh, by about 30 miles away, there is a mountain that rises to 9,200 feet called Mount Hermon. The cold air would come down off Mount Hermon. The warm air rising from the Sea of Galilee would meet and, of course, would create storm-like conditions. The Sea of Galilee was well known for this sort of thing. And here Jesus is with his disciples in a small boat, maybe about 26 feet in length. The reason we know that sort of uh, fact is because in 1986, a boat was discovered on the northwest shore at Ginnasar uh, in some mud, and they've uh, extrapolated that, uh, retrieved that particular boat, and they put it, put it in a museum on the side of the actual lake. And it wasn't very wide, it was only a few feet wide, maybe had room for maybe four oarsmen, um, and I presume there was a sail as well. And this was the boat that they were contending the storm with. Quite an incredible, incredible scene in which we, we've just heard about. And what we see is three very important things that uh, in this passage, which I think are very helpful. First of all, we see that something about the identity of Jesus, um, and that is that Jesus is God. Secondly, and very wonderfully for us, we learn that Jesus cares for us. And thirdly, we see in this passage how we ought to respond, and that is to, to trust in him or to have faith in him. And these points, I think, come from three questions that are actually asked in this particular the passage. We get the first question, who then is this? In verse 41, we get in verse 38, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? In verse 38, and in verse 40, have you still no faith? Um, these are three questions that are asked by either the disciples or by Jesus, which help us to engage with the story and come to understand its meaning. So let's have a look at these particular points in turn. The first point is that, is that Jesus is God. We see in this passage that Jesus did what only God could do. In the Old Testament, 
God had the authority to be able to calm storms. An example is Psalm 107, around about verse 23 and following. We see a beautiful description. And there are lots of other references in the Old Testament. It's quite clear that only God has the authority to be able to calm storms. He is in control of nature. Now, interestingly, in the time of Jesus, it was also considered by people that the Caesars, the Roman emperors, had the ability to be masters of sea and land. Um, they weren't, um, of course, um, they didn't have what Jesus had in terms of the mastery, but it was metaphorical in that case. Whereas Jesus, with his power and authority, well, that was something that was truly real. Okay, so there is a distinction. Back in those days, they thought that the Caesars, the Roman emperors, had that power and authority, but that was metaphorical, whereas Jesus' power is real. Of course, the leaders of countries and empires and things like that, not everyone thought that way. Um, there's a story of King Canute uh, in the 11th century. So some hundreds of years later, uh, in the 11th century AD, and the story goes like this, that the courtiers around King Canute came to, well, were always complimenting him and of course being uh, very, very obedient and, and so forth. But they had a very exalted view of King Canute. Now, King Canute didn't hold that same view of himself. And he said to them, am I divine? He then went down to the seashore and he said, stop. But the waves kept rolling in. And he said to these particular courtiers, he said to them, only God can stop the sea. I can't. I'm not God. Now that is a realistic and right view to actually hold. Now, Jesus, though, of course, was different to King Canute in that he had the authority, he had the power to be able to calm the sea because he is God. So Jesus is God. His authority... I think is just wonderful. I find it very refreshing to be able to just consider the authority of Jesus' words. He says in just a few words, peace, be still. And he is able to calm a sea. It's incredible. What does, he, what does it actually say? In verse 39, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus' word is authoritative, not only in this instance, but throughout the New Testament. In fact, God's word generally is authoritative. It, is, it has power. It has meaning. It, is author, it has authority over our lives. Now, for me, that is a very valuable spiritual point. Uh, we live in a world with billions of people in which there are lots of complex circumstances. We don't understand everything that's going on in anyone else's life or any other country's life. Our own lives are complex, just living from one day to another. There are all sorts of things that we're going on, all sorts of things that we can't even understand just in our own lives. And what we hear here is that Jesus' word is authoritative. It cuts through all of the confusion, the confusion out there in the world, the confusion in our lives, and gives us something that is clear, reliable, stable, something that we can hang our hat on, something that's going to guide us through all of the stresses and the strains of life.
Now, that to me is helpful because if I'm thinking which way to go, well, what do I do? I listen to Jesus because he has authority to speak. He is God. We should listen to him. And of course, his father says that we should listen to him. We even read that in the scriptures. And of course, this authority was seen by him calming that storm. So he said, peace, be still. And then very interestingly, it goes on and we're told the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now I can understand the wind ceasing, even though it was incredible, I can still understand that. But when it speaks about the great calm, we need to also understand that that's not referring to the wind, it's referring to the waves and of course also the swell that may have developed. Now that is quite interesting. Because like if you think about it this way, just say Jesus, Jesus fluked it and he was able to say, peace, be still, and it actually stopped. The wind actually stopped. Um, it, you know, for, for him then to, um, uh, uh, yeah, that would have been, that would be incredible. But what also happened was that the waves, they started to, they ceased completely as well. Um, now, usually when wind blows, uh, over water, it's some days before the waves actually die down or the actual swell subsides. But in this particular instance, what we actually see is that both occurred simultaneously, which just shows how supernatural this all was and how much power and authority Jesus Christ actually uh, had. As I was just thinking through this and explaining this, I do remember teaching this this lesson to some scripture students not so long ago. And I, um, you know, was trying to make light of, well, not make light of, but I was trying to show how I didn't possess this particular authority. And I said, well, it's almost as though Mr. Damon, you know, would go over to that window and say, you know, be, be sunny because it was a cloudy day. Anyway, I, I, I said this from the chair, I didn't quite go over to the window, but all of a sudden the sun started to shine and all of the children are saying, oh goodness, Mr. Damon is like Jesus. And I'm saying, no, 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 that was a complete fluke. It was a coincidence. Now in this particular instance, there was no fluke about it. He said, peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. There can be no shadow of a doubt about the very fact that this was an extraordinary act which shows that Jesus has authority or lordship over nature. And what we see is that he did what only God could do. So Jesus is God. Interestingly, as we go forward, just so you can sort of get a little framework in terms of what's going to be happening, is that there are three scenes in the next couple of chapters that all have to do with boats or maritime scenes in which, first of all, we've got the, the, the calming of the storm. The next one will be Jesus walking across the water and meeting the disciples uh, in a boat in the water. And then on a third scene, which has to do with Jesus telling the disciples and warning the, the disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees. Each of these particular scenes has to do, to do with the identity of Jesus. The identity of Jesus is really important for us to be clear upon. And what we see here about the identity of Jesus is that he is God. Now, the second point is, is that Jesus cares for us. This is a wonderful point. Jesus cares for us. He's God and he cares for us. Let's have a look at verse 38. There's a question there. 
But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Well, they had a fear of dying. I don't know whether you've ever been in a storm. I've been in a, it wasn't a storm, but it was certainly in very serious weather uh, in the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. I wasn't actually in the race. I was on board the radio relay ship uh, or vessel. It was a yacht uh, that, we, uh, that I was aboard that sailed uh, with the fleet to try and keep the fleet in communication with land. It was an important function and I was just a member of crew. It was the first time I'd ever sailed south to, uh, to Hobart. Fortunately, I was with very experienced people. But it was a year of attrition. 50% of the fleet had retired. We were heading south and we were just about to enter into Bass Strait and we had to abort and go into the port of Eden to seek shelter. We stayed there for a day or two and then re-attempted to enter into Bass Strait. Now, Bass Strait is one of the most dangerous sections of, um, of, of ocean um, to cross. It's because it's quite shallow and the waves build up with uh, the southerly breezes and so forth. And this, the, the sea can be very, very steep. There can be very big waves. Well, as we're entering into Bass Strait, I remember coming up from down below and I got up on deck and I looked towards the bow and then looked towards the waves coming forward. And I was just amazed. I'd never seen waves so big. It sort of looked like you're, you were, you're in the surf, you know, and your head was just above water and you're looking at the, a big set of waves. Well, that's how it felt. Yet I was on a boat and trying to think, how on earth is this boat going to be able to get over these waves and not be, you know, crashed in upon by the, the, the succeeding wave that is actually coming. My mind was starting to boggle. But I'd also just become a Christian and I was familiar with this passage. In fact, I'm sure I was familiar with this passage from years and years ago, prior to that, learning about this passage in scripture at school. But I was thinking about this. Well, I didn't have the authority to say, peace be still. I certainly wanted to do that. I wanted to get to Hobart and I wanted to get there safely, um, but I didn't have any authority. But also I started to think about well, what happens if, you know, the boat starts to leak, the boat starts to sink, all of these sorts of things go through your mind. You're out there for hours and hours and hours. So your mind has lots of opportunities to be able to, uh, to think. Um, well, that was probably the closest that I had come to fearing uh, death in an actual storm. In the days in which Jesus was ministering, there was also a great fear that if someone perished at sea, that there would be no burial for them. Uh, if the body was never found or never retrieved, there would be no burial for them. They were particularly fearful about that. And if there was a burial, it may be on, in foreign hands in a foreign land. They didn't want that. So there was particular fear associated with it. They were staring death in the face. And yet, what did Jesus do? He said, peace, be still. He was concerned for them. He cared for them. They thought they were perishing, but he cared for them. He intervened in that situation. But that situation, I think, is a springboard for us to be able to see a bigger truth because of what we're going to see in passages to, to come. And what I want you to see is that Jesus cares for us uh, in an even greater way. You see... We are people who are perishing physically. One day we will die, okay? Unless, of course, Jesus Christ returns. But that's a story that requires a little bit more explanation. But generally speaking, we are people who are going to, to die. 
Furthermore, the Bible actually says that we are people who are spiritually perishing or have perished until such time as we come into a relationship with Jesus and in so doing come into a relationship with God. In fact, the Bible says we are spiritually dead. Okay. Now, Jesus is someone who cares about us in this state of actually the death, the physical death, the spiritual death that we either are or will be experiencing. And what we see, um, how we see this, is that in the succeeding stories, Jesus starts to focus upon death. So in the, um, up to this point in the story, there have been five episodes when, where Jesus has delivered people from the shadow of death. But in the next couple of chapters, what we're going to see is quite a focus upon death. Now, it won't, well, it'll be in a couple of different instances. So there'll be the story of Jesus healing the, the Gerasene demoniac. Someone who was living among the dead, amongst tombs because of the, um, the, the demonic possession that he was experiencing. Um, there will be the story of Jairus's daughter who um, had died. She was on the point of death and then she died and Jesus was able to raise her to life. And then there's the story of the woman who is bleeding and uh, she was as good as dead in the state that she was in. Uh, but Jesus, of course, healed her and was able to give her effectively life. These are some very clear stories of how Jesus is concerned for people who are experiencing death of one sort or another. But the story goes on further. And of course, we know that Jesus died himself upon the cross. And that was to do something very important. It was so that we would be forgiven for our sins, so that we could be made right with God the Father and have the certainty of, um, of resurrected eternal life. And Jesus died on that cross to make all of that possible, which shows that he really cares about you and me. He wants us to have spiritual life now and for eternity. And he wants us to be people who are raised to life in the new heavens and the new earth, which he is assuring is the, the certainty for all those who trust in him, which of course comes when we have been raised from the dead on Judgment Day. So that is the wonderful future for, uh, for us um, as Christian people. He cares for us. He cares for us. And that is just such a wonderful thing. He is God and he cares for us. And the third point is, well, is how we should respond to him. I've already mentioned this in part, but let's have a look at it more clearly. In verse 40, uh, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They had to be people who have faith. They were obviously struggling with it. The disciples, they got some things, but they lacked understanding in some areas. They had faith, but they also were doubtful in certain areas. Jesus is saying here that they are to have faith. They are to have proper faith in him. Now, faith is helped very much when we know who Jesus Christ is. And what we see in this passage is that Jesus Christ is God. And what we see is that he cares for us. When we focus upon the object of our faith, who is Jesus and who has this quality about him and who has done this for us, we are people who are able to respond in faith. We can't just grow our faith. We need to actually grow our understanding of the object of our faith so that we can see how wonderful and how certain um, the object of our faith is. Who is Jesus Christ? 
Now, this is really wonderful, wonderful news um, because Jesus Christ is these, these, these things. And as we recognize more about who Jesus Christ is, we are people who are able to have proper faith even in the face of death. I wonder if you would have faith, proper faith, the faith that Jesus wants in his disciples in the face of death. If you don't, well, look at the object of your faith. Recognize afresh that Jesus is God and recognize that he cares for you and has proven that by even dying upon the cross so that you can have all of these wonderful benefits. Faith was a radical departure in the Greco-Roman world. That was the time in which Jesus was ministering. It wasn't usual uh, when it came to religion. Uh, the things like ritual and practice were the norm, not uh, belief and behavior. But faith was something that transformed people's lives. And of course, it has also transformed the world. So it's a very important response that we would get right. So in this passage, we have it clearly shown that Jesus did what only God could do, which shows that Jesus is God. We see that he cares for us. We are in a perishing state, spiritually and physically, but he is someone who's died upon that cross so that we can have spiritual life and resurrected bodies for eternity. He cares for us. And we learned that our response is to trust in 